the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The good news is there's a way back. There's a way back to God's design, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. So when I turn to Jesus and begin to follow him, when I repent and when I believe in who Jesus is, then I can get back on that path toward God's design. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I think I got it from my mom because she got it from her mom. I can remember going to Grandma Jolly's house, and it seemed like every time we walked in the front door, she was pulling a pan of biscuits out of the oven, and she would always ask, you want some biscuits? And I would say, yes, in the name of Jesus. And so I've always loved bread, so I stopped by Panera just to get a piece of bread, but I couldn't choose because they had some beautiful croissants and this Asiago something or another and French baguettes and then a ciabatta or something I can't pronounce and then a loaf of sourdough. Oh my, I love bread. I feel kind of like the guy who went to a restaurant. He was new in town and he sat down and he asked the waitress, can I have some bread? And she brought him a slice of bread. And he ate it and then he said, you know, um, is that all you've got? Could I have some more bread? And She brought out a couple more slices of bread. As he got ready to leave, he left a generous tip, and otherwise he was very nice, but he said, I just just have you know, you're kind of stingy on the bread. But he went back next time, and she remembered the tip, so next time he showed up, time he sat down, she gave him four slices of bread. He smiled, but after he ate those four slices, he he said, "You, you think I could have a little more? She brought him a couple more slices, so he had six slices of bread. And when he left, he left another generous tip. And he said, you know, it's getting better, but I, I still I think you're kind of holding back on the bread. The next time when he walked in the restaurant, she was ready for him. She brought him a whole loaf of bread. He ate every slice. And then as he got ready to leave, he said, so that's the best you can do. So the manager had had it. I mean, they had played nice long enough. The manager baked something special, knowing that now he was a regular. The next time he came in, the manager came out. They had baked a loaf of bread six feet long, three feet wide. It took the manager and three other servers, all of them, to walk it out. They walked it out to the table. And he just looked at them. And he said, so we're back to one piece now, huh? See, that's what happens when you're just trying to fill up on bread. You never get enough. And see, I don't just like bread. I like stuff. And so my tendency in life is just to fill up 
on stuff and to feel like I've got to get more and more stuff. And, and in fact, if I'm, if I'm not careful when I pray or when I read the Bible, I will think, God, don't you just want to give me some more stuff? And that's a perversion of the gospel. The gospel means good news, and perversion means bad and fake and false. And, and so a fake gospel is that if you just say the right things or if you just pray the right things, if you believe the right things, then God wants to multiply your stuff. He wants to give you more bread. But that's not the gospel. The gospel teaches us this, that Jesus did not come primarily to give us bread. He came to be our bread. And that's the main thing I want you to understand today. Jesus, in his coming, God becoming man, he didn't do that just to give us more stuff. He didn't do that so that we might have more bread. He, he came to be our bread. And that fits so well in our conversation with the gospel. That's what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, the gospel, which means good news, and, and when we understand that God loves us so much that he became one of us and that as one of us, he died and he paid, he paid for what we had earned. We had earned death, but he took our death, and, but he didn't stay dead and he, he rose from the dead and he lives today. That is the gospel and the gospel is good news. And, and I really think if I understand that, then I want to share the good news. I want other people to hear that I've got some good news. And so we've been talking about how to live out and how to share the gospel. Last week, I gave you a simple way to do that. We call it three circles. And I said, you could start with that first circle that just reminds you that God has a design. And his design is a love relationship with you because he wants to fellowship with you. He, he wants you to worship him. He wants to walk hand in hand with you. But something gets in the way of that design, and that something is called sin. And the Bible says all of us sin. And sin is any time we do the bad things that God said, don't do that. And it's any time we don't do the good things that God says, you should do this. And any of that sin, whether it's one or one million, our sins separate us from God because God is holy. And so when we're sinful, it's like oil and water that doesn't mix. And so what that leads to is it leads to our brokenness. And if you've lived a little bit of life, you understand brokenness, that relationships don't always turn out the way you want them to. And families are sometimes broken. And you start out on a career path and it doesn't go the way you planned and your dreams are broken and shattered. And we recognize that broken lives are no fun. And who wants to live in a, in a state of brokenness? And, and so we have to try to, how do I get back to, to God's design? How do I get back to where he wants me to? And that's what takes me to that third circle, which is gospel, which means what? Good news. And the good news is there's a way back. There's a way back to God's design, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. And, and when I repent, it's a word which means when I turn. So when I turn to Jesus and begin to follow him, when I repent and when I believe in who Jesus is, then... I can get back on that path toward God's design. I can restore my relationship with God, and I can pursue who Jesus is. And I told you last week that if you just take those three circles, you can use that little booklet we gave you, or you can download the app that helps illustrate that for you. Or you could just do like I did with my friend Leah this week. And after she had served us and, and we had prayed for her, 
she recognized me, not because I'd asked for more bread, but because I'd been there before. And she said, you're a pastor, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor, Leah. And she said, I, I think I need to be in church. And I said, well, you probably do. But I said, you got just a minute. And she had a tray. I said, go put the tray down and, and hand me that pen you got in your little pocket there. And, and so she put her tray down and I took the pen and I turned over a napkin and I just said, let me tell you what's even more important than church. And I can do that just by drawing three circles. I tell you that because that was one of the opportunities I used this week to do what we talked about. How about you? Did you find opportunity to have divine appointments to share the truth of God in a regular way with people that you came in contact with? You see, when we're living like Jesus, that's what happens. It's not some program. It's not something that we do robotically, but just out of the flow of everyday life. When we're living like Jesus, ordinary people like us, we can turn everyday conversations into gospel opportunities. And I really believe that's the secret. You see, in this room, there's one of two categories that we're all in. You're either already a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm just telling you, the way Scripture explains it, gospel opportunities and gospel conversations should be a part of your life. That should be a part of how you regularly live out your daily existence. And so you should want to say, how do I become more effective at that? How does that become more natural so that just me, an ordinary person, can turn everyday type conversations into gospel opportunities. If you're not in that category, you're in the category of a person who needs to have a gospel conversation. And the good news is you're going to hear that again and again and again today. You're going to hear that, that God loves you and that he does want that ideal plan for your life. And that no matter how broken you are, he can fix you and he just wants you to turn to him. That is the good news and we're going to talk about that again in the context of an interaction that Jesus had with a bunch of people. But before we do that, I want to pray once more and just ask God to meet us here, to speak clearly, and then to, to enact whatever change needs to be enacted in our life. So you ready? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, speak. Oh, God, give us those things that we don't have. We come open-handed and needy. Lord, teach us those things we don't know. We confess our ignorance. We, we confess that there's so much about you that we don't know. And then make us what we've not become. God, your word says if any one of us is in Christ, we are a new creation. And, and yet there's a lot of us, Lord, that are living like the old us. Make us what we've not yet become, Lord. Begin that transformation process in our lives. Help us to walk away different. And God, I include me in that category. So, Lord, I ask you, let the words I say and my thoughts in these next few moments, let them be pleasing and honorable to you, God. You have changed me, and, and I want that to be demonstrated in our time together for your glory. And most of all, God, I would ask that you do that greatest miracle of all time today. That someone who's in that category where they don't know you, they're not sure about eternity. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And I thank you for this. Because I know that's within you. And I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. 
It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, as the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so both then and now, that's why many people come to God, right? They come wanting God to show them something. God, if you just give me a sign, then, then I'm going to tune in. God, if you just make it clear, more clear than it is and has been, then, God, I'm going to listen. Then I'm going to respond in a way that maybe you want me to respond. But first, God, I I need you to do a sign. And, And what we're saying is, God, I'm more concerned about you giving me bread than I am about you being the bread. God, I'm more concerned about what you can do for me than that you are for me. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip. Now he's setting Philip up. Jesus sees the situation. Just say this with me. Say, God sees. Maybe you need to be reminded of that. God sees everything you're facing. God sees everything you're going through. So Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Say, God knows. God sees and he knows. Jesus knew what he was going to do. But Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Verse 6 says, he said this to test him. And I just want to remind you that some God, sometimes God allows things to happen in our life to test us to see if we're going to respond to him because God is sovereign, right? Sovereign means he's the king. He's the ruler. He's sitting on his throne. He's never caught off guard by the circumstances of life. Nothing ever touches you that causes him to go, oh, wow, I didn't see that one coming. Nothing, in fact, ever touches your life that hasn't first filtered through his hand. So God knew what was going to happen, but he's turning to Philip to see if Philip was going to trust the one he's been hanging out with. And so Jesus asked a where question. Where are we going to get the food to feed all these people? And Philip responds with a how answer. He says, well, it's going to take about 200 denarii. No, 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 no. I didn't ask you where you're going to get the money from. I said, where, where are we going to feed these people from? And, and you need to understand that because you and I do that. God wants us to look to him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to see that he's the source. And too often, we get stuck on the how. Oh, I don't know, God. I don't think you can do that. I think that may be big even for you, God. Jesus was trying to get them to look to him. 
But I, I want you to see something else there. Not only was that reality, Jesus was helping them to see that he's the one who provides. You remember the Old Testament story of Abraham? God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. So Abraham starts going up the mountain, and he's got Isaac with him, and they're going up for a sacrifice. Isaac knows that, and then he begins to look around, and he says, uh, time out, Daddy. Um, where's the animal? Where's the one who's going to be sacrificed? And Abraham says what? God will provide the lamb. So Jesus is just trying to point them to this understanding that they should have already known, that God will provide, that he's sufficient. How may change, but where never changes. Jesus is the answer to your your questions. Jesus is the answer to your problems. You get that call from the doctor and you have that unexpected illness, Jesus is the answer. Your marriage faces difficulty or this other relationship you're in has challenges, Jesus is the answer. Your career is not going the way you think it should be going, Jesus is the answer because he is the source of all that is good in your life. Verse 8 says this, and then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, now I've got to stop there because how would you like to be known as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother? I got a little taste of that when I was in ninth grade algebra, when Miss Cook, and I promise I'm not bitter, but Miss Cook, who had my brother, who's nine years older, one day she said, I guess you're just not as smart as Rocky, are you? I'm like, Andrew, Simon, why is he known as Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother? I want you to know something. Do you know in John chapter 1 and verse 40, it says one of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That's when we first hear of him. And notice what it says. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. The reason Andrew is always known as Simon Peter's brother is because Simon Peter would have never known Jesus were it not for Andrew. Peter, who denied Christ, Peter, who would preach at Pentecost, Peter, who God would use to birth the church, Peter, this great apostle, we only know about Peter because his brother brought him to Jesus. Here's my question for you. Who have you brought to Jesus? You see, a lot of us are, are like me. We've, we've lived professing to have followed Christ a long time. Who have you brought to Jesus? We all should have at least somebody that we're consciously, consistently, actively praying for, investing in. That one person that we're saying, oh God, open the eyes of their heart that they might know you. It's a friend, it's a family member, it's a co-worker, it's a neighbor. Who's your one? I hope you would take a moment right now and just, whether it's in the the cover of your Bible or in a notebook or or, or wherever you can write it. Write down that name, at least the first name of the person that you want God to use you to bring to Jesus. Well, notice what happens. Verse 9, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. <laughs> and I think this is a cool moment too because it's like Jesus is saying, y'all relax and watch this. It's like he was saying, take a deep breath. Maybe you need to do that. Just let's do that together. Take a deep breath. 
to some of you, you've come in, even to church, and man, the week has just beat you up. And life has got you down. And you're overwhelmed. And sometimes it's good just to take that deep breath and just watch Jesus work. So it says, now there were much grass in the place, and the men sat down, and there were about 5,000 in number. We know, we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but there's fifteen or 20,000 people there because there were just 5,000 men. It says in verse 11 that Jesus then took the loaves, and, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who's coming to the world. Wow. Jesus showed up. He demonstrated his power through his presence. And people began to notice who he was. Now, on the outset, this seems like a miracle of multiplication, right? And that's the kind of thing that causes us to buy into this faulty or fake gospel. God just wants to give me more bread. He just wants to multiply what I have. But that's not the point. The point was not the bread in the baskets. The point was that Jesus was in their midst. That because of the presence of Jesus, every need they had would be met. He wanted them to understand, and I believe he wants us to understand today, if we really see Jesus for who he is, every need in our lives will be met. Remember the main point of the message. Jesus did not come primarily to give us bread, but to be our bread. So what happens next? We're told that Jesus pulls aside. And he did that often, by the way. He exercises Sabbath, and he spent time with God. So if Jesus needed to do that, probably you do too. But he pulled away, he went to the top of the hill, and the disciples went out on the boat. But something happened, and Jesus noted that the disciples out on the boat were in the midst of a stormy gale. The wind was blowing, the waves were tossing. And that's when we have that other familiar miracle, right? Jesus walks on the water. And Jesus walks on the water, and then he gets in the boat. But in John's account of this, never do we see that the storm stops. Because the point wasn't that Jesus calmed the sea. The point was that Jesus was present, and that if Jesus is present, that is always enough. And and I need you to understand, in our lives, often we're focused on the storm, We're focused on the waves. We feel tossed about in the wind. We're overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. And even those of us who profess to follow Christ too often, we're not depending on the fact that Jesus is with us. And that Jesus is with us, that's enough. The point of this whole chapter, the point of the gospel is not what God can do for us, but that God is for us and that he is with us. And that if Jesus is with us, we can endure whatever is taking place around us. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
Other boats from Tiberias came near the place they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum. They were seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, Jesus is saying, I get it, guys. You're not coming to me because you've got it, because you really understand who I am, because you know I'm the Messiah, because you know that if I'm with you, you can endure anything. You're coming for me because your stomach's growling again. You want more bread. But Jesus had a message, and his message was, I didn't come primarily to give you bread. I came primarily to be your bread. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.